things that you want to think about when you have a patient who's got different kinds of insulin. So the first one is how fast does it work? When should this patient eat? Especially if you're mixing two insulins together. If the patient is going for a procedure, will they be back in time to eat? So sometimes you may not want to give the drug as ordered. Now, do you have the ability to just say, I'm not giving this stuff. Well, yes and no. You can hold a dose, but then you should call the physician afterwards. So you can make the call immediately. I don't think I should give this right now, but then let the physician know. And, and it would be helpful if you had a plan for what you would like to happen. Next question is how long does it last? When should it be given again? Now, as the nurse who gives the drug, you have a lot of leeway in when it should be given. Should it be given again at six o'clock? Should it be given at eight o'clock? Should it be given at five o'clock? You're the one who decides that. Typically, if you're lasting 12 hours, when should you give something? If, you know, NPH plus regular lasts about 12 hours-ish. So once in the morning, once at night. Now, if the person eats at eight in the morning, should you give it to them again at eight at night? It's usually going to be given at 6 o'clock. Then what's four hours later? 10 o'clock. So the patient needs a snack around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. If you give it at 8 o'clock, then a lot of the patients are already being asleep. Then the question is, are they in a hypoglycemic coma or are they just sleeping? So typically you want to give it a little bit earlier. And another question is, when should I check this patient's glucose to make sure they're not too high or not too low? All right, how do I mix this? Now, you probably heard the term, because I, I understand you learned about it today. Yeah, forget, the, forget that. It's, it's, it's correct as long as you're talking about NPH, but the moment you put Lantus into the equation, Lantus is long-acting and it's clear. And you can never mix it with anything. Repeat after me, never mix Lantus. So you can do some bad things by just remembering clear to cloudy, clear to cloudy, clear to cloudy. Well, with Lantus, I can mix either one, right? No. Okay. So start with the short acting, which is going to be what three? Lispro, Aspart, or regular. Then do your NPH. Now, NPH is the most common one. You could have like semi-lente, which will also be cloudy. All of those other long-acting ones are cloudy. Now, the other thing is this. What makes NPH cloudy? Stuff. Okay, very good. Okay, it's not soluble. And what's that called? What's it called when we have stuff that's floating around... Say it again, please. It's a suspension. Now, do you know of any other suspensions in life? What's the most common one you probably know? Okay, oil and vinegar in, in a vinaigrette. What happens to those layers? They separate. What's another common one? We live in Florida. No, salt water is a solution. 
unless you count the sand, but Florida orange juice. Before you give orange juice, what, or before you pour orange juice, what do you do? Why? Because all the pulp and stuff is settled to the bottom. Now, in NPH, if you take a bottle of NPH that's been sitting for a while, it will not look cloudy. That's the other reason why you can't just go by clear to cloudy. Why won't it look cloudy? Because all that sediment will have settled to the bottom. So what's the first thing you need to do? No, we don't shake. Okay, we want to roll it or swirl it. Why don't we shake it? Makes bubbles. And we don't like to give patients bubbles. They can blow their own bubbles, but we don't give them bubbles. <laughs> All right, so what are the what are the three short actings? Regular, Lispro, and Aspart. What are the uh, two long actings you're most likely to see? Well, it's NPH and semi-lente. So lente is is uh, Latin for slow, and it's also Spanish for the same. So semi-lente means half slow. It's a long acting. Now, what? I said, you, I said chances are you won't. Like 90% of the long acting is going to be NPH. But you might see a little bit of semi-lente somewhere here. Yeah, but I'm not, ta I'm not talking about... Lantis, Lantis is different. Lantis is not long acting. No. Because there's no peak. So Lantus is different. Call Lantus special. All right. So when you mix insulin, what are you going to start with? Short acting. And then mix it with your NPH. And when will you mix it with Lantus? Never. Ever. Okay. And we might actually do that today in lab just, just to be fun, even though it's not, we're not supposed to do it until a couple weeks from now. All right, now, other things to be aware of. Concentration. When you, when you give insulin, you're supposed to use an insulin syringe, which is typically in the United States going to have an orange cap. And it's calibrated in units. Now, there are two concentrations available. Now, it's going to be kind of difficult to kill a patient by accident with this, because the one that's available by default is called U100, which means that there are 100 units in one milliliter. This is the most common in the United States. Now, there's another one called U500. And that one has 500 units per milliliter. And it's going to be used for patients who require more than 200 units per day. So let me ask you this question. If a patient needs 200 units per day, how many injections do they need? Two. 100 for the morning and 100 for the evening. If they need 250, now how many injections will they need? They would need four because they would need half of that in the morning with two injections. And they'd need the other half in the evening with two injections. So by giving them a higher concentration, now they only need two again. 
This is very, very uncommon. It requires a special order. I mean, like, to specially order it. So chances are very rare that you'll ever see this for most patients. But every time you pick up insulin, just make sure it says U100. If it does, use a U100 syringe. All right, and then U40 is no longer available in the United States. All right, now, um, if it's clear, that means, if it's supposed to be clear, that means it's in solution and does not require agitation. If it's supposed to be cloudy, that means suspension and you should gently agitate, either rolling or swirling. Now, places you can give it. We have two terms, sites and regions. The site is the actual place you give. The region is that area of the body. Now, the most common regions are abdomen, back of the arm. Not everyone is buff, but most of us have Flab, yes, hips, buttocks, and thighs. Those are the most common places, the most, the most common regions. Now, let's take this region right here. So just the right side of the abdomen. In, within that region, you should not give an exactly the same site every time, but you should change the site just a little bit each time. So that way you avoid scar tissue. Because scar tissue can build up over time if you give it in exactly the same place, and that will interfere with absorption. Okay. The back of the arm is one region. The abdomen is another region. The buttocks is another region. So each region has multiple possible sites. Okay. Glad we could clear that up. All right, other considerations. Only mix compatible insulins. Now, what that means is two things. One is that we never mix Lantus. The other is that you never mix brands. So Novo never mix with Huma. So if you have Humulin regular, you cannot mix that with Novolin NPH. If you have Humulin regular, you can never mix that with Novolin and pH. Now, most of the time, that shouldn't be a problem because hospitals usually only stock one or the other. But every now and then, you may find yourself where you've got two different brand names. You cannot mix the brand names. The other thing is if a patient has Humulin ordered, you're not allowed to give Novolin. You have to give the same brand that was ordered. Does that make sense? Okay. So there's no generic. It's all brand name. And they cannot be substituted for one another. You need to store unopened vials in the refrigerator. Open vials may be stored unrefrigerated for up to four weeks. So once we open it, it's a multi-dose vial. You can keep that vial for four weeks. However, Keep it away from sunlight or excess heat. So, 
Where, where in Florida is most of the excess heat? In your glove compartment or car or trunk. Don't leave them in the car unless you park in the shade, in the garage. So there you go. And then also pre-filled insulin syringes. Sometimes instead of having a vial, you've got a pre-filled syringe. They should always be stored needle up so that it doesn't leak out by accident or damage the needle, I guess. All right, delivery systems. The old-fashioned syringe and needle. This is what you are going to learn to do, and it's the most common in the hospital. They also have pen injectors. It's a little pen, um, probably a little bit thicker than this, and it has a little dial on it, so you dial up the appropriate amount, and then you go, and it delivers the insulin. You don't have to change any needles. You don't have to deal with syringes. And it's not an EpiPen. It's an insulin pen. It's similar. No, it's not one use. It's multi-use. So obviously that's patient. Right. No, it's that, that's usually for patient home use. Now, the good thing about the pen is that patients don't have to learn how to draw up their own stuff. So their chances of making a mistake are less likely. There's jet injectors, which don't use needles at all. They use compressed air, but they tend to hurt just a little bit. Needles are actually quite not hurting compared to that. Similar. Similar. Then we have portable insulin pumps, um, and we already talked about that a bit. You need to change the set, meaning the tubing and the needle, every three days. And you should also change the site to avoid microdeposits of crystalline insulin, which can impair absorption. Um, there's also implantable insulin pumps, which actually live underneath the skin. And that's going to be less noticeable. Um, and then we have intranasal. Now, intranasal is special because it's not, it's not ordered in units, it's ordered in milligrams. The other thing is that it comes in one milligram and three milligram tablets, but guess what? Three one milligrams does not equal one three milligram. Hmm. Yeah, let's not make it confusing. So the physician should not order the total dose. The physician should order exactly what he wants. So if you will give four one milligram tablets, the little capsules that are crushed and then inhaled, that's not the same as giving a three plus a one. So they have to give you, they have to order the exact everything they want. Got it? Because it's just not the same. Yeah, there's a technical reason and I don't remember why and you don't care why either. Well, it could be used for type one or type two. All right, we're almost there. All right, type control. The DCCT is a diabetes one trial. And did you say you don't understand something? Get the exact what? Okay, so let's exam. All right, so if a physician orders four milligrams of exubera, that's not a valid order because it could be filled with a, with a one plus a three 
or it could be filled with four ones, right? Four, four ones equals four, and a three plus a one equals four, but they're not equivalent to each other. I might. Okay. What I'm telling you is what I'm telling you what I'm telling you is that this is not a valid order. This cannot be filled. The pharmacist should catch this for you. Because they're going to go, that's impossible. Because it comes as either one milligram or three milligrams. Now, one plus three does not equal one plus one plus one plus one. So this equals four. This is four, right? And this is four, right? But they are not the same in terms of exubera drug. Even though mathematically it's the same. And you guys are good enough at math to understand that this really does equal each other. What you do is you tell the physician, I'm sorry, this order is not complete. You have to specify the exact capsules you want. He's got to tell you, is it four, four ones or is it a one plus three? Now, in this case, it's, not, it's pretty obvious. But if, it's, if he says three milligrams, that in itself is not enough either. He's got to say one three milligram capsule inhaled BID. Or he's got to say three one milligram capsules. By the way, um, have, has Professor has Professor Brooks talked about this notation at all? Okay, notations. In in the medical world, this means one. One over one means one. Two lines over two lines equals two, not eleven divided by eleven, which would equal one again. And this means. Three. Three lines over three lines equals three. There's another notation which you use lowercase i's. So that would be a one, this would be two, and that would be three. So this is more like Roman numerals. But you're not going to see this one nearly as common as this one over one notation. The reason is this tends to get this tends to get lost. And people don't know, is that a 1, is that an L, is that just a stray mark on the paper? And, and is that supposed to be 2 or is that an 11? So by doing it this way, you mean like 1? <laughs> well, that's what I just told you. It's just, it's, I'm telling you, over, over 100 or more years of practice, this is how they're going to do it. And they're not going to change it because you want them to. Yeah. 
oh, yeah, sometimes rather than doing like a full one, they'll do like this. And that's one also. Or they'll go like, and that's two. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Now, just like in a check, how many of you have ever written a check before? You know, you've got the little number box and then you have to handwrite the thing. So with an narcotic prescription or a controlled substance, they actually have to write it out like this. Okay. Are we ready to go on? Okay. All right. Now, Now, this is a trial that took type 1 diabetics. What they found is that intensive insulin therapy resulted in 50% less kidney disease and somewhere between 35 to 50% uh, less neuropathy. 76% less ophthalmic complications. Now, do you think it's expensive to be blind? Yes. 76% less eye problems. That's in a fairly short time period also. That was like over five years or something. Now, the drawbacks, there was more risk of hypoglycemia and the cost was $1,700 a year for the normal versus $4,000 a year for intensive. In terms of the, the medication is more expensive and it uses more supplies. because you're controlling things much tighter before. Now, in the, like 20 or 30 years ago, even as recent as about 10 years ago, physicians would tell patients, oh, your blood sugar is 150, you're fine. Now, if a physician, if a physician tells their patient 150, you're fine, that would be considered malpractice. Question? Uh, $1,700, is that for the intensive? Or the no, intensive? this is the intensive. Okay. Right, so in terms of cost, this one costs about 2300 more per year, a little bit more than double. But it's worth it. How, how much do you think it costs to be blind a year? How much does it cost for dialysis a year? How much does it cost to get amputated and then have to go through all of that physical therapy? I'm saying it's worth it. All right, now, the UK PDS, yes, ma'am. It's within each patient. It's, it should be the doctor in, in collaboration with the patient. Things, yeah. All right, type 2 diabetes. The improvements were not quite as dramatic, but they still had a large increase or large decrease in the number of complications. So the bottom line is tight control equals fewer complications. And what type especially? Microvascular. What were the three microvascular complications? Neuropathy, nephropathy, and retinopathy. Eyes, nerves, and kidneys. All right. 
Now, let's talk about dosing for a moment. Now, insulin dosing has to be matched to the insulin need, and every patient is different. Now, factors. Insulin resistance. Remember, nothing says a person can't have type 1 and type 2 diabetes at the same time. Next one is the patient's current production of insulin. Are they producing some or none? Caloric intake. How much is the patient eating? If the patient is eating more, they will probably need more. And then finally, the situation. So in the hospital, typically we're going to allow patients to have blood sugars slightly higher than we want them to be when they're out of the hospital. And the main reason for that is liability. People are afraid of making their patients hypoglycemic in the hospital. If the patients make themselves hypoglycemic outside, well, it's their fault. If it's inside, well, it's our fault. Now, increasers of insulin need. Things that make you need more insulin. Infection. If a patient has an infection, they're going to need more insulin to maintain control. If a patient's under stress, they're going to need more insulin. If they are obese, they're going to need more insulin. If they have a growth spurt, like puberty, yes, 13-year-olds, then they are going to need more insulin. If they are sedentary, that is, they do not exercise, they will need more. If a woman is in the second or third trimester pregnancy, she will need more. It's just how it works. Don't, don't worry about it. If you want to read the book, they'll tell you why. It depends. It depends on the. It depends on the reason the woman has diabetes. All right, decreasers of in insulin. If a patient wants to take less insulin, they should exercise, be in or be in the first trimester of pregnancy. That's pretty much it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, if they have an insulin pump, all they need is regular. Okay, you don't need to worry about that. Okay, here we go. Last, I think this is the last thing before we're done with insulin. Okay, sliding scale insulin. You're going to see this in the hospital a lot. It's basically a little chart that says if the patient's blood sugar is between this and this, give them so much extra insulin. If it's between this and this, give them this much. If it's between this and this, give them this much. What's the problem with sliding scale? No. When, what are you giving the insulin in response to? How high the blood sugar is. So that means the blood sugar is always going to be out of control. So it's not a good way to control blood sugar. Again, the most common place is to have it in the hospital because we want typically want them to run slightly high because we're more afraid of them going into hypoglycemia than we are of them having slightly high blood sugar over the course of a short time, two or three days a week's time. So remember, microvascular complications happen over what lengths of time? Long periods. They don't happen over a week. So for that week they're in the hospital, it's okay if they run, instead of running 120, they run 130. That's okay for us. We're willing to accept that. 
because we're really afraid if they go down to 50 and they have problems, we might get sued. Long-term care is a little bit different. I've never practiced there, so I don't know what they like to do. No, this is not recommended at all, but you will see it in the hospital. You'll do this a lot. Conventional is going to be two-thirds of the dose in the morning and... No, that's not right. <laughs> One-third in the evening. Two-thirds in the morning and one-third in the evening. And it's usually going to be NPH or Lente plus regular or Lispro or Aspart. Which brand names are? Humalog and Novalog. Remember, the logs are short-acting. All right, intensive is going to be either regular for meals plus Ultra Lente at bedtime or... Lispro for mules and Lantus for basil. Or intensive could also be an insulin pump. 